Welcome to the podcast of Grace Covenant Church, where we are transformed by God's grace, connected through relationships, and committed to service. Please have a seat. Asked Mike a few weeks, several weeks ago, I said, hey, this is, this is Palm Sunday. Let's see what we can do. And wow, you know, the trumpet and the, the key, the boards, the vibes, that's good stuff, huh? It's good. Uh, we are on a journey as a church. We're trying to find out what, what is the real Jesus and how do we do that? We look for um, people that have actually been there at firsthand accounts. We were looking at the book of Mark together. It's one of the gospels, one of the biographies of Jesus. And then, and then we're looking at, okay, how would we follow this true Jesus? What would that really be like? And so as we read through this story of the life of Christ, we're trying to look for people in the audience that mo- might most be like us, their souls are in the same maybe health or condition that ours are, and then we would say, okay, that's maybe the way I would react as well, and then make adjustments accordingly. Um, if, if you look at Mark's gospel, like, Mark, like Mike had referred to earlier, uh, Mark is going to spend, what, 10 chapters to summarize 33 years of Jesus' life, 33 years of ministry, and then all of a sudden, Mark, known for always using the word immediately, regularly. Okay, now all of a sudden, he's going to put the brakes on and go to like a school zone. For this last week, he's going to spend more than a third of his gospel looking at the last few days of the life of Jesus. Because Mark wants us to see things closely and with details about this week, this is what's called Passion Week, that we might not, that we need to focus on so that we can know the true Jesus. All right? And so this week we're going to, this week we're going to look at the first three days of the life of Jesus. And by the end of these three days, you're going to love Jesus or you're going to want to kill him. That was the response of the people that were exposed to this firsthand. They loved him or they wanted to kill him. First day of this week starts off in a thing called Palm Sunday. We call it that because it is Jesus' triumphal entry. And what that means is that he sent a, a, a few of his men to go get a donkey colt that had never been ridden and to take it to him. And they put a, their, some of their coats over the top of that. And he, as he rides into town, they're throwing their jackets and palm branches in front of this colt so it would never touch the ground. This is a triumphal entry. This is a majestic entry of a king. And as this was happening, they're chanting this, like it says in verse 9. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And so he's coming in while everybody's chanting Psalm 118, which is, which is one of the uh, liturgical songs for uh, Um, Passover, and so they're getting ready for Passover, so they're singing this Passover song to him. And and listen, the reason he's riding this donkey instead of a a horse is because, at least in Israel, when when a king would come into town and he'd have one of these entrances, if he came in as a conquering king, he would come in on a war horse, right? Giant hooves, clap, clap, clap. He was showing his power. If he came in to show himself to be a humble servant of the people, he would ride this, this donkey. And so that's what he's doing while he's doing that. And, and people are starting to realize because of who Jesus is, who he's claimed to be, and this is the beginning of, of Passover week, I think some of them are hoping this will be the best Passover since Passover. I mean, since the, this is it. Things are starting to happen for real. And what's, what's telling in this story, though, you have, to, you have to see this radical change of mood from this triumphal entry and the singing of Psalm 118 and people praising him, and then right as dusk happens, this happens, and it's a clue to the rest of the week. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple courts, 
And he looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Jesus sees something. He's been to the temple before. He sees something. He's seen it before. It's not the first time, but this will be the last time. He's going to make things right. Doesn't like what he's in, in, you know, in, in, taking in. Now, I, I mean, no disrespect. Honestly, I'm trying to I'm going to pr- propose something so that you actually might better grasp what's happening in the next uh, section. If we can imagine this next story as it's being told in a genre that we might be familiar with, we're going to understand the, uh, what, what actually takes place more deeply. If you could, please... Look at this as like a Western, an old Western movie. I know. Just put Jesus in chaps and a spur and put a badge on him. He's the new sheriff. And the reason I'm asking you to do that is, again, not to show any disrespect, but we have a better understanding of of mood and ambiance and power of a story that's being told in in a genre that we're familiar with, you know, the spaghetti Western, the classic Western movie, probably more so than we understand ancient Near Eastern storytelling. And if we can envision that and wrap that around, we're going to understand what exactly Jesus is coming to do, because here's what's happening. Jesus is the new sheriff in town, and he's coming to clean up this corrupt city that's being overrun and overruled by um, these insidious, proud religious leaders, and they have put the, you know, their thumb on the people's back, and he's going to call them out, and he's going to make it right. He's going to call them out, and he's going to make them right. Day one ends, triumphal entry, Jesus seeing what's happening at the temple, not able to do anything because the sun's setting on him. Next morning, wakes up, first thing, puts on those chaps, he puts on that spurs, those spurs, and then the badge puts on the badge. Watch as he walks towards Jerusalem now or towards the temple area. He's hungry and he goes over and he sees uh, this fig tree and he looks at the fig tree and it's in full bloom, but there's no figs. Now this time of year, there should be like pre-figs. There should be buds of figs to come and there's nothing there. And so he says, no man will eat from this tree ever again. He curses the tree. It's the only destructive miracle that he does. And that tree, it's dead. Now, <laughs> why is he picking on fig trees? Right? I mean, why? leave the fig trees alone. It's a, it's a living parable. Fig tree, that, the, the expression fig tree is a metaphor for Israel, the nation of Israel, and their spiritual condition. Five Old Testament prophetic books call Israel a fig tree. And so Jesus is saying, you've got a problem here, Israel, in this one little symbol. It's hypocrisy. You're projecting one thing, but in your reality, you have nothing. You're showing full leaves, but no fruit. All splash, no righteousness. And in chapter 11 and 12, the key word that will be repeated multiple times is the word hypocrisy. So let's make sure we understand what that means. Here's what hypocrisy means. This is what Sheriff Jesus is coming to clean up. Hypocrisy is when you project an image, people believe that this is who you are, and you know that you are really here. The gap between your projected image and your real self, that gap is a lie. That lie is called hypocrisy. Okay, so the one, the person that you project, you want people to think you are, 
honest, right, noble, fair, religious, and you know otherwise, and you're not letting them know, that's a lie about who you are. That's a lie towards other people, and people sometimes think they're lying to God. And that's why Jesus is going to attack the religious leaders of, in, in the temple area. And this fig tree is like a sheriff that walks up on the town, right? He's coming into town. He's the new sheriff in town. And here's this sign that says, the fig tree represents this sign that says, you know, city limits of Dodge, you know, Dodge City. And in a Western, what would he do? He'd kind of move his horse over and the muscles of his shoulders would just knock that city sign down. And it would, what would, it would tell you there's something's about to get real. Right? So this fig tree represents, it'd be like the sign that says, now entering Dodge City, and this sheriff just knocked it down. All leaves, no fruit. All talk, no righteousness. Hypocrisy, I'm coming after this now. And as he comes up, he saw again what he saw the night before. He comes in and looks at the temple. This is what he was supposed to see. This is the model of the temple during Jesus' time. And those two giant areas to each side of the actual temple itself, that's called um, the um, area for the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles. And, and here's what's beautiful about the court of the Gentiles, what a blessing it is for non-Jews. Because it was God's intent that all people, not just the, the, you know, just, not just the nation of Israel, would come and worship him in this place. And so this giant courtyard is for them to worship the only true God. Isaiah 56 says... This, uh, these, these other people, I will bring into my holy mountain and make them joyful in, in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable to me on my altar, and my house shall be called a house of prayer by all the nations. So this is a giant sacred church, right? It, it, peace and reverence and, and worship, that's what was supposed to happen. What he saw the night before, what he sees this first day in the morning is a smelly, loud marketplace. Everywhere the, where the court of Gentiles is supposed to be, they've taken that over and turned it into like a, a stock show. And, it's, and it's, it's loud and it stinks like animals and people are yelling back and forth and there's all this clanging around because people are making money everywhere. And, and you have to stop and wonder, is this a place where people outside the Jewish faith could possibly worship God? Is there worship happening in amongst this chaos? It can't. And so they took a beautiful thing. There was an invitation to the world to experience the closeness and intimacy with the only true God, and they've turned it into a racket. Now, the, the reason there, there were money changers there and people were working those tables is there was a currency exchange that needed to take place. could take place anywhere, but they made it right there in the court of Gentiles. So you would be using Roman currency, and then you'd have to pay a, a, a kind of a, a tax for the temple itself, and they, they had their own currency. Well, the currency exchange rate would be highly manipulated because they could. Where else are you going to go? We'll give you the exchange rate we want to give you. And then the animals and the stench from all that, what's going on there? Well, uh, you had, when you came and you were to sacrifice an animal you know, as an expression of your commitment and love for the Lord, it had to be kosher. We know that word. It had to be kosher, and to be kosher, it had to be approved by the right priests. Well, according to a lot of commentaries, they say they were gaming that as well. And it's, again, instead of doing this outside the worship center walls, they brought it inside, and you would bring your very best, 
uh, lamb or dove or whatever it might be, and the priest would go, mm, yeah, that's not going to work. But you know what? I'd be willing to sell that or buy that from you for a pretty discounted price, and I'm willing to sell you one that is pre-approved. This is a pre-approved kosher dove for you. And say so they would gouge you that way. And some, and, and some commentators would say, you know that dove you sold me cheap? I'd end up selling it to the guy four lines down. And, and, and where else can you go? They're the ones deciding what's going to be offered and what won't be. And, and so they, they, have, they, have, they, have a, a rigged, they have a rigged system that is corrupt that the regular people can do nothing about in the context of their worship with the Lord. And so instead of seeing this beautiful place of worship where the nation of Israel, along with all the nations, are coming together with a house of prayer and reverence is, is the pervasive theme, we have... A, you know, a, kind of a Black Friday in a barn feel. And so what does Jesus do? One of the gospels says, he, Sheriff Jesus, there's a new sheriff in town. He makes a whip and starts whipping some of these merchants and then knocks over these tables with money and then starts letting the dove go free. Go, you're out of here, go. And then he screams this. Has it not been, as he taught them, he's saying, has it not been written? My house will be called the house of prayer for all nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. Power in this declaration is in the personal possessive pronoun. My house. You've made my house into this. This is my town. The sheriff is saying, this is my town. And he is, he is, coming full-blown head-on with the people that are supposed to be in authority there. And he's saying, no, 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 this is the Lord's house. I'm saying it's my house. Yeah, you do the logic. I'm saying this. This is mine. And the first night ends with two completely different exits from the temple area. There's one where Jesus is going back to Bethany with his 12. And the other exit is the religious leaders after the chaos that just broke out. And they're meeting together. They're very powerful men who are going to lose a lot of money if Jesus gets his way. And so what happens when you take power and wealth away from influential and rich people? They're going to kill you. You'd be better off taking a cub from a mother bear. And they say this. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard all this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed with his teaching new sheriff, the townspeople are liking him. And they're basically saying, this town ain't big enough for the both of us. And Jesus says, yeah, you know, I'm thinking the same thing. Next day, day three. This is a day of teaching. He mounts up, puts on his badge, starts walking to the temple area, sees a dead fig tree laying on the ground. His 12 look at it and go, wow, that happened fast. And then he spends a whole day of teaching at the temple. Now, because of, for the sake of time, we can't go into the details of his teaching. There's a lot of different lessons. We're going to focus on his attack, which is where most of it happens, his attack on hypocrisy. He's going to be looking um, at the emphasis of the authority that he has to do what he does and to say what he says. And then ultimately, he's going to show us what a pure heart for God really looks like. Okay. And so this is this day three of teaching. He's walking into the temple area. He really hasn't even gotten started yet, and he is surrounded by all types of religious offices. 
It says there was the chief priests, the teachers, and the elders. And they're saying, okay, we're in control of this day, and we'll start off with this question. By what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you the authority to do this? Who made you sheriff? And he just says, you know what, you know what? Okay, I'll tell you what. I'll answer that if you answer this. John the Baptist, you remember him, right? You went to the river and saw him? Those baptisms of repentance? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, was he from the Lord or was he from man? Was he telling the truth or was he just making things up? You answer that and I'll answer you. Now, we're going to look at their answer in just like seconds, but here's what I want you to be listening for. I want you to be listening for the way they think. I want you to look at their values because their values are going to spit out an answer that, is, that makes logical sense, okay? That's what we're looking for, their values. Here's their answer. Okay, it was John telling the truth. They discussed it among themselves and said, look, if we say that John was from heaven, then he's going to ask, uh, then why didn't you believe in him? But if we say, oh, no, no, he's from human origin, they feared the people because everyone held that John was actually a real prophet from God. And so they answered Jesus, we don't know. What's missing from the discussion? Is it true? They don't even ask, is it true? These are the religious leaders of the day. Their job description is to be the point of the spear telling us the way of truth. They are supposed to be the ones that are forging a way of what is true and right and real. They will do anything and at any expense to follow whatever the truth of the Lord is. Uh, Today, we would call them philosophers because what does philosophy mean? Literally, the lovers of truth. And these men were asked a simple question. Did John tell the truth? Okay. Was John sent by God? And they never even consider the question. The question that was up for debate was, how do we answer this in such a way as to hold on to as much power and authority as we can? How do we answer this question so as not to cost us too much in our reputation? How do we hedge our bet and keep things safe? Never about truth. And so they say, I don't know. That was their disqualifying, I don't know, I'm not really sure. And Jesus is like, well, fine. You know, if you won't answer that, I won't either. They're not, they're not even trying to follow truth. When I was in um, seminary graduate school, uh, a professor of apologetics, and we would call that philosophy today, uh, he, he said this, just kind of an off moment in class because I think guys were getting their hopes up in being able to answer questions. And he said, listen, look, there, he said, look there's two types of people in the world, okay? People whose theology determines their lifestyle and people's lifestyle determines their theology. Let me explain that, okay? There's people whose theology determines their lifestyle. What God has said will determine the way they act. And there's other people that say, I'm just going to act a certain way, and then I'm going to say that God says it's okay. And there's only, and it's just like these two types of people, right? There's, there's one group of people that say, God has said this is right and this is wrong. I'm going to try everything I can to do right, and I'm going to avoid doing wrong. And there's other people that say, you know what, I like this peer group, I like this, this place in life, and I'm going to f- read books and commentaries and whatever I have to do to make sure that God says it's all been okay. And here's the part that was most discouraging about his comment. 
with these two types of people. There's some people that are the flagpole and some people that are flag. He said, most people, most people are flags. Most people, they determine their lifestyle and then define God around that. They're not seeking truth. They're just doing what they want and what works and gives them whatever, the most friends. Friends, that's not following Jesus. That's thinking Jesus will follow you. He doesn't. He's a king. And if you have something in your life that you won't do or can't do, it's an idol at, at, the, at the cost of truth. If you, if, you, if you have something that you won't give up or can't give up for the sake of a truth, like these men were asking, is this true, then it's an idol. Those things are subservient to truth. You're supposed to be willing to pay all these other things, whether it's wealth or comfort or safety or reputation. Those things are expendable at the altar of truth. But if you switch it around, then that thing reputation, money, wealth, safety, comfort, control, that becomes an idol. And friends, let me tell you the nature of idols. They require regular sacrifices of your soul, and they make you less than you were meant to be. That's the whole theme of the Lord of the Rings and even The Hobbit is we all have a ring, and we've got to throw it into some volcano, or it will master us, and we'll become like Golem. And ultimately, the idol slays you with irony. Whatever you worship will destroy you. And that's why, by the way, because of the nature of our souls being bent towards idol worship and thinking God's going to follow us, that's why Jesus says, hey, you tired yet? Are you weary and heavy laden with your idol? (laughs) Bury it. Take my yoke upon you. Yoke is a plowing harness. So he's not like saying this is you know, get a lawn chair. He doesn't say, get a lawn chair. Let's have some beers together. He says, take my yoke upon you. We'll work, but my yoke's easy. (laughs) It's the easiest game in town. I was made to, it wasn't made, but I can handle your worship. I can handle your worship. And when you give up everything for me, you become free, and then you become who you were meant to be more than you are now. It's just the opposite of the idol right? Who keeps taking and then makes you less and then you die from that. He says, I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you freedom. I will make you real. Follow me. Follow me. Lose every, and I think he's appealing to these guys. One of you guys, one of you guys break rank. Come on. One of you guys say John was telling the truth. Come on. I know you'll get kicked out of your club. I know you won't have your power. You might even lose your house on the hill. Come on. Come on. You'll be free. You'll be free. Come on. They don't, they don't, And what's happening in this scene right here is this sheriff is calling them out. He's saying, you guys act like you're religious leaders, and you'll follow the Bible for whatever it says. And I'm telling everyone, I'm showing them by asking this question that you'll only follow the things that you would do anyway. You say you guys are lovers of truth. I'm telling everyone by this question, I'm showing everyone that you are lovers of self. You're lovers of your money. You're lovers of your power. You're lovers of your control. This isn't about ideals. This is all about you. And, he call, and that gap between who they project themselves to be and who they truly are, that's hypocrisy. That's a lie. It's a lie to other people. It is a lie to yourself. And you think you're lying to God. And this sheriff says... Not anymore. Not in my house. 
we're changing things. And now he tells this story that says this is how it's always been. He uses this metaphor, it's called a parable, and he just rolls it all out in front of everyone. He says, let me tell you this story, and I'll tell you how it ends too. This is the whole thing. This is what it's like. God is like a, a guy that owns a vineyard, and he builds this fabulous, this spectacular, amazing vineyard, right? He, he, he plants the vineyard. He builds a wall all the way around it to keep it safe. He's even got watchtowers on the corners to protect it. He, builds a, he digs, a, digs a pit for um, the, the wine press, and then he turns it over to some people so you guys can work it and enjoy it. <sighs> You're welcome. Then he goes off to a foreign country, and then uh, the first set of crops come in, and he, and he sends a, a, one of his uh, runners in and says, hey, could I have you know, a percentage of this last harvest from my vineyard? Could I have a percentage from my vineyard? Your rent is due. And here's what they do to the, to the messenger. And they seized him. And they, and they beat him, and they sent him away empty-handed. He's going to be mad. Verse 4, but, but the, the vine owner, vineyard owner, he says he sent another servant to them. And, and here's what they did to him. They struck the man in the head, and then they treated him shamefully. Eastern culture. This is an ancient Near Eastern story. How do they feel about shame? You've shamed your family. You've lost face. In a Western motif, right, they didn't just beat this guy up and hit him in the head. This, this attack to his soul was far worse than the attack to his body. They beat him up in the middle of town while everybody was laughing, even the kids. They strapped him to his horse and, made, and, and drug him out of town. They humiliated him. How do you feel now sitting at the feet of Jesus teaching this story? What do you think ought to happen next? I've got an idea, Jesus. Let's go. Let's get this thing done. He doesn't stop telling the story. Jesus says this. He says, and he sent still, he says, still, he sent still another one. And they had that one killed. Now people are making fists and clenching their teeth. And they sent many others, and some of them they beat, others they killed. You're listening to this story. This is like, again, one of these Westerns that just the bad guys just it keeps going on and on and on. I mean, how long does it go before somebody shows up and cleans this town up? They're screaming at him going, Jesus, you know, justice delayed is justice denied. What in the world? This is a terrible story that you're telling here because the, the wicked are prospering. The story gets darker, friends, because he says this. He still had one other, his beloved son, and so he sent him last saying, they will respect my son. No, 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 no. They won't. No, no, they won't. What? Send the army. Don't send your child. What would it be like to, who is this son? Who would go to this vineyard after this level of abuse and shame and disrespect? What kind of son would do that? They see the sun coming in the horizon. They've in their watchtower that the owner built, and the tenants said to one another, look, here comes the heir. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. Pause. Jesus is just looking and watching. And so they took him, this beloved son, and they killed him, this only son. And then they shamed him. They threw him 
out of the vineyard. They threw him over the wall that his father built to protect them. You had enough? They have. (laughs) What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and he'll kill those tenants and he'll give the vineyard to someone else. Haven't you read the passage in Scripture that says the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this, and it is a marvelous thing in our eyes. The sheriff told this story because he wanted to make sure that you and I and everyone that's ever heard it knows two facts. He wants us to believe in these two truths. He wants us to be confident because he knows everyone's going to ask these two questions, and this story answers them both. Question one, why did it take so long for justice to arrive? And two, it seems that justice may have been severe. Why did it take so long for justice to arrive? Do you see how he drug this story out? And we are incensed with the wicked prospering. He does this because he wants us to know this for sure, to be confident, to have confidence, to have faith in this, that God has patience for a purpose. God has patience for a purpose. He wants everyone to have a chance to repent. He wants anyone in that town to run and say, I don't need this on me anymore. He wants one of these religious leaders to break rank and say, John was telling the truth. I've been living a lie. He wants everyone to have a chance to get this right. And so he keeps sending people to be abused because maybe one of them will change. Jesus answers the question, why justice takes so long? I have purpose in my patience, my long suffering. The second is he's saying, why so severe? Wow. And if you want to know what he means, what I mean by severity, Peter, James, and John are going to get a private interview with Jesus, and they're going to go back to this story, and they go, what do you mean? This is chapter 13, if you want to read it. It's the next chapter. What do you mean by, you know, when he comes in? And the story, will, it's going to scare you. You're going to want to turn away and not see this when justice arrives. And when you see what he talks about, you're going to, want to, you're going to, you're going to think, that seems severe It looks like revenge, and Jesus is saying it was not revenge, it was just. It is what these men, evil deeds, cried out for. I do not run up the score, I keep that even. It's not severity. The vineyard owner, you need to know this about God, the vine owner. He's patient with a purpose, and when he comes and justice finally arrives, it's severe, but it's just. He's not angry. He's just trying to make things truthful and right. Uh, Peter put it this way. Peter, I think Peter remembers this story. He remembers that conversation in chapter 13. He says this about God. He says this in verse 8 of 2 Peter. He goes, you know what? But don't forget this one thing, my dear friends. You guys have been persecuted for a long time. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise for justice, as some of you guys count slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone would come to repentance. Just because he's taking a long time doesn't mean he's not going to keep this promise. God is patient with a purpose, and he's just, and it looks severe. Next sentence, he says, but when the day of the Lord will come, it'll come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with a fire, and the earth and everything in it, okay, will be done with and laid bare. (laughs) We're going to sing it a little later on. 
Jesus is the king. Majesty, finally here. Finally here. This is the story Jesus tells, and he, when he, he ends it up, he puts a box on it and says, yeah, you, you remember the Psalm 118? Remember Sunday you guys were all chanting, Hosanna, Hosanna? Right, keep reading that psalm because it says at the end of the psalm, it says, this stone that the religious leaders rejected as unworthy will be the very capstone, the cornerstone, the foundation of a, of a new religion, a new way, a, a, a new spiritual revival that will take place. I'm that stone. I'm that headpiece. I'm that one. And do you think they understood what he was saying? They absolutely did. It was tense. The people loved it. It says, what did they say? Uh, the large crowd listened with delight. It's the end of the day. It's the end of his teaching. He's got one last thing to put a bow on this. It'll be the last time he teaches publicly. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to summarize. He's going to say, these people... These religious leaders, they're prostituting my truth. They're gonna, they project themselves this way. This is what they're really like. And that in between, it's hypocrisy. And I'm coming after that. It will be evaporated by my righteousness. He says this, last spoken words in public. Verse 38, Jesus said, watch out for these teachers of the law out here. They like walking around in their flowing robes and being greeted with respect in the marketplace and have most important seats in all the right places in the synagogue and the places of honor at banquets. That's how they project themselves to be. They devour widows' houses and for show they make lengthy prayers and these men will be punished most severely. There's different types of hypocrites there are political hypocrites. Good grief, right? Oh, you're going to serve me. This is for, oh, yeah, it's not about your power and money. It's about you, right, serving the common man. Are you sick of that yet, right? We have six people running for president, and I just want to draw a name out of a hat, right? And loser has to be president. I'm preparing for this big election. This is how I'm doing it. I hope you join me. Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Tomorrow. All right? But while there are political uh, uh, hypocrites, what, here, what is Jesus singling out here? He's talking about spiritual hypocrites because they're taking his words and what he meant good, like the court of Gentiles, and they've turned, they've prostituted, they've ruined it, they've turned it into something else. And friends, when you use your spiritual influence, your spiritual power as a father or a mother or a teacher in that context, friends, be haunted by this passage. Some of you are, have come from churches where pastors manipulated and connived and, and, you know, asked you to give sacrificially so they could get wealth and power. God's watching. They have no concept of this new sheriff coming. There should be a fear in all of us about this, this religious uh, um, hypocrisy that will be judged most severely. I nearly left seminary because of that verse. Because I, I didn't want to be under that. It's, it's a scary thing. The day's over. He says, that's, that's, that's how the new sheriff is going to run things. It'll just be truth. It'll just be what's real. It'll only be what's right. And so everybody's starting to scatter, and they're going their, their various way, ways. Even the 12 aren't even hanging around anymore, and Jesus is taking a seat. And he's kind of over by the collection plates. They have these boxes where you turn in your offerings. 
And Jesus watches this. I think she's old. She's a widow, and she's poor. We know that for sure. But this little poor old lady walks over to the collection box, and she throws in a little couple coins. I mean, they're worth about a nickel. But Jesus knows that's the last nickel she has, and she's going to give it all to the temple as an offering to God. And so Jesus is like, come here, come here. Okay, all of you 12, come here. I want you to see something because this is awesome. Okay, truly in the Bible means, come here, come here, come here. Okay, so that's what it says, uh, verse 43. Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, come here, come here, come here. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others because they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put everything in it, all that she has to live on. (laughs) What kind of God does this woman serve, friends? She, he, he's got to be big. He's, this poor old widow, okay, she, she's given. Who's going to pay her rent? She doesn't know. God's bigger than that. How, who's going to put food on her table? She doesn't know. She's willing. She could have kept half. I mean, right? She could have had two and a half cents to herself. She just gives it all to him because that's the kind of person, that's her soul. He, Jesus is saying this. Look, the sheriff is saying, look, 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 I've been talking all day about justice. I have, okay? And it's all been in the context of hypocrisy. But guys, I want you to see something, that justice has another side to it, and it's reward. I've told you guys three times in three chapters, many of the first will be last, and many of the last will be first. That's the one that's last, and she'll be first in the next lifetime, because that will be just. She is poor, and she's going to be rich. She'll own her own island. She's a widow, and she'll have a hundred times as many family. And she will be rejoicing because she has great faith, a tender heart. She's the real thing. So, look, guys, before we close this up, I want you to see that justice is harsh, and it's true, and sometimes appears severe, but it is good and it is rewarding because God is constantly and always looking for men and women who pursue him and want to honor him and live with a whole heart towards him. There's rewards. There's rewards. Know this. Know this. This is the story of the first three days. Know this, that God is patient with a purpose. It's his mercy that keeps his justice at bay. And know this too, that he's going to make things right. Okay? You be confident about this. You follow truth wherever it leads, at whatever cost, and you'll be rewarded for that. Let me tell you how Paul wrote it. He said this, don't be stupid. God is not mocked. Whatever you plant, you harvest. You plant lies, deeds of the flesh, all your addictions, you you plant your idols, and you harvest wrath. But that's only half of justice. That's only half of agriculture. You plant the spirit. You plant righteousness. You have a harvest of eternity. So don't grow weary in doing good. That's today's lesson. Don't grow weary in doing good. Nobody's getting away. These, the, 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 new, the sheriff is coming. He is our king. He is majesty. And he is finally going to be here. Do not grow weary in doing good. Last sentence, he says this, in every opportunity, uh, do good to all people. You know what? Especially the guys in the church. How do you like Jesus now? Yeah. He's a good, good God. He's a good, good father. 
He's going to make things right. Let's thank him for that. Lord Jesus, uh, I, I think there's some, maybe some people here that might have been confronted with the disparity between maybe the way they project themselves and the way they truly are. And God, I'd ask that uh, you would give them the courage to repent and the courage to take responsibility and the courage to live for truth at whatever that costs. You would free them from their idols and bury them in the graveyard that they might take your yoke that's so easy and they'd be free and they'd be themselves. And Lord, I'd ask that you would give us this confidence uh, especially in, in, in days where um, everyone just, all the wicked and evil just continue to seem to prosper, I'd ask that you would help us remember the story of the vineyard and the promises that you've made that has not changed your nature, that your patience does not abdicate your justice. And Lord, I'd ask that you would grant us mercy in this time of need. Lord, help us understand the real you, that we might serve you and fear you and enjoy you and love you pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information about Grace, visit our website at grace360.org.